You're listening to Hey guys, welcome back to First of All, a real unfiltered conversation on career, family, relationships, and all things modern culture. I'm your host, Mindy Chang, and if you are a new listener, welcome to the podcast. And if you're returning, Thank you for returning. I hope you've gotten something valuable from my rambling. But anyways, uh, it's good to be back with all of you. And uh, this episode is actually a solo episode because I wanted to take some time to reflect and answer some questions that I got uh, regarding one of my previous episodes on therapy. So thank you for tuning in to that. It was uh, very well received and I appreciate the commentary that I got and the private messages about um, people's different experiences dealing with anxiety and depression and um, a lot of curiosity on on therapy. And so I wanted to bring this this uh, abbreviated, I don't know actually, I don't know how abbreviated this will be, but a, a, an episode just for me to share my personal thoughts since the last episode on therapy is more of an introduction of how I got into it and to really get to know my therapist, because um, she's a fantastic, phenomenal woman. Shout out to Panny. But um, yeah, more of my personal thoughts and reflections to kind of elaborate a little bit more on what that journey has been like. So I began therapy in January of this year. So it has been a very recent development in my life. Uh, I won't say exactly how old I am, but I'm in my 30s. And I've been a very long time advocate of mental health, addressing different emotional issues. I'm one of the most emotional people that I know on the planet. And so it's always been very high up there with me being so emotional and sensitive to everything that I learned how to manage it. I think that it's Honestly, as far back as I can remember, my family's always been really concerned about how much I cried. <laughs> and they're like, don't upset Minji. She, oh my gosh, she's going to crumble. And they're genuinely worried um, at different points in my life that I was just too sensitive of a person. Um, you know, they're just like, don't cry about everything. Don't cry. You know, I didn't really hear very much that it was okay to cry, maybe because I never had a problem with doing it. I think that sometimes people get told it's okay to cry when they are not criers because someone's trying to, you know, be a gateway and allow them to be emotional. I had the opposite problem that I was crying all the time over everything. Like if I was sad, if I was mad, if I was lonely, you know, someone took my Barbie, whatever. It would just flood of tears. And I also leveraged it because I knew it was like a weapon to get my brother in trouble. Anyways, I was a crier, so I grew up with hearing... Maybe, you know, in a, in a certain aspect, negative feedback of stop crying. You're crying too much. Um, stop being so sensitive. I heard that a lot. And so I kind of had this subconscious understanding that my sensitivity and my emotional tendencies were kind of a liability and that it was something that I needed to stop and it was something that I needed to manage. Now, in hindsight, um, for anybody who's like a parent or going, you know, going to have children in the future, 
I think there's a way to still communicate that. I don't think it was necessarily bad to be told, you know, in a negative format. I just, I don't think I needed to cry all the time. It just was my personality. It was my sensitive heart, if you will. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I'm trying to learn how to distinguish whether my opinion is a fact or not. You know, my opinion is, I still grew up to be a healthy and whole person. Mind you, I went through some really major bumps, but I don't think it, it was, it wasn't something that scarred me forever. Um, I just recall it. It was something significant. So if you're going to go down the path of telling your kid to stop crying, just do it with compassion and with love. Try to explain things as much as you can. Just don't yell at them, you know, um, Anyway, that was like a tangent of parental guidance when I'm not even a parent. I'm just reflecting a lot on how I was parented and what I want to do or not do with that with my my own future children and with my nieces and nephews and all my friends' children. Um, very hypersensitive of like, oh, I could traumatize them really deeply and, and not know it. Because apparently what I'm learning through therapy is that when you're zero to eight years old, you are just a sponge and there are really, really significant things that impact you and that your brain just soaks up and you're not trying to it just is what it is so yeah that's why I'm I'm being really hyper vigilant about that but anyways back to the original stream of consciousness which is the fact that I was a highly emotional highly sensitive child and very aware of my feelings um I always didn't feel like I had a problem with expressing myself but I knew that I had potentially a problem of overexpressing myself and that I needed to learn how to manage that. So because of that childhood, because of that tendency and that personality of mine, I've been always really aware of other people's feelings. Um, maybe that's just because I'm a compassionate and empathetic person. I don't know. No, I wasn't. I was a jerk a lot. But just being really aware of, oh, that person seems to be really kind and that person seems to be really closed off. And maybe that is just an innate part of me to be more intuitive and be aware of people's feelings, hence why I'm an actor. Um, I was very aware of that. I was very concerned about that. I was always and socially programmed to care about how everybody else is feeling. So I've always been a very big advocate of let's talk about, let's feel, let's manage, let's handle our feelings. And still to this day, as a grown adult, I'm still really behind that. Like I have not changed at all in that mentality and that prioritization in my mind. I think that humans are brilliant, you know, we're, we're just such, I don't know why the word intoxicating keeps coming to mind because that's not the word. We're fascinating. We're fascinating creatures. There is no end to all the intricacies of our minds, the way that we think, the things that impact us, the things that shape and mold us and make us so much the same and so uniquely different. But in terms of all this effort that we have in terms of setting goals and academic achievements, intellectual tendencies to think and analyze things, to be critical and logical and practical, the things that make us innately human, I think, are our feelings and emotions. And depending on what culture you come from and depending on what country you grew up in or what your parents' backgrounds are, your socioeconomic status, etc., we all have a really different approach to our feelings, 
Some of us have not been allowed to access our feelings. I've watched my brothers grow up in a very different, you know, way of being raised than me. I think I had a lot more allowance to be emotional, to cry, and to be sensitive. Even though I was told not to be so sensitive and to cry so much, I don't think my brothers were allowed to cry. If they were angry, upset, I don't think that was ever, whether that's by my parents or society, they were allowed to be emotional. I mean, that's such a stereotypical cliche at this point to acknowledge that men have not—the toxic masculinity has so much to do with this lack of emotion or this suppression of emotion. And I think we are all recognizing the consequences of that. So to say that, um, you know, humans are feelers and that we are emotional is the most—it's the grossest understatement of the century. But I need to be Captain Obvious here because— the funny thing is, being this person that I am, to have this awareness of our sensitivity and our mental health and our feelings and management and you know expression and all this stuff, I think it's the funniest, most ironic thing that it did take me this long to be in my 30s to actually start therapy when I've been the biggest advocate and the biggest poster child for people to go handle their feelings. And this is where we're like walking contradictions too. You know what I mean? I've told so many people that, you know, maybe you need like counseling or I've said this to my parents. I've said this to friends. I've dealt with several friends who have really struggled with mental health issues, with severe depression, with, um, you know, really bad anxiety. And I've been always all for it. You know, I'm like, I've never not been, oh, therapy's... That, I don't know how that would help you. I've never been that girl. I've never been that person. I've always been the, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Good for you. I've been praising people. Just, yes, go get help. Talk to somebody. Process your feelings. Go meditate. Go do yoga. Go get a therapist and do X, Y, and Z. Yas, queen, all over the place. Yeah, I'm the biggest advocate. So it's just so ironic that a person of that passion and that uh, that level of intensity of advocacy took so long to apply the same practice and the same recommendation to herself. So I just want to take a moment to acknowledge that because that's just ridiculous. I'm not trying to judge myself, but I find it really funny and very comical and very ironic. Um, and I needed to unpackage that because when I started therapy... I don't know if I'm—please I, forgive me because my brain is—I don't know if I mentioned any of this in my my episode with Panny, so some of these may be repeats, but bear with me. I had reached a very, very significant low point um, of exhaustion, of anxiety, and 2018 was one of the hardest years of my entire life. Uh, the life changes that I went through, the career change to quit my full-time job to become a freelancing artiste, I was not mentally prepared for. I took a lot of physical hits during that time as well because of the level of stress that I was that I was enduring on a daily basis was really taking a toll on me in terms of bags under my eyes, um, drying out of my skin. I got stress acne. I wasn't sleeping well. I was sleeping, but I wasn't sleeping well. So my brain was foggy. Um, 
all of these things combined and being needing to be a performer and being an entrepreneur and having my life being so heavily focused on building relationships and being out there and being social, putting myself on camera, really, really just sucked. In a nutshell, it sucked. And it was very much a downward spiral. Um, to be in a new relationship with Kenji at that time, to deal with long distance, to deal with financial instability and uncertainty, um, to also still be a daughter and a sister in my family. And my family is very tight knit and we go through all sorts of different issues um, as families do and still wanting to be a pillar of strength for them. Still trying to maintain friendships with people that are so near and dear to me, but being so exhausted. I was dealing with a lot of guilt of just kind of being sucked into this vortex of anxiety and sometimes depression, um, being really irritable, fighting with my boyfriend, being really concerned that I would never get married, um, that I would also be broke on top of that and my skin would never recover. And this is just where it all goes downhill. And, you know, it's it's easy to for that negativity to gain momentum. Um, to top everything off, <laughs> taking a breath here, to top everything off, I lost one of my best friends. Uh, he actually passed in, in the summer, but I found out about his death in the fall, in October. And that just kind of, that sent me on another really, really, like I don't, I've been through really hard things in my life, really hard things that I will not sugarcoat or underplay. But that was a different level of um, grief and guilt and anger that just closed out my year last year. Um, a lot of amazing good things. Like, mind you, I'm not outside the scope of reality. Last year was also one of the most incredible, self-fulfilling years of my life because I made decisions and I booked projects and I got to go places and experience things that and fall in love and have all these really amazing things that happen. So those things are not out of the context of my life, but it was a roller coaster. And it was never, the consistency was completely absent. There was, I think this was the most inconsistent year of my life, the most unstable year of my life. And so when you're in that mode, um, you're just being jerked back and forth. You know, it's, there's no peace. It's just one second I'm really happy and the next second I'm stressed out and crying and the next second I'm angry and in a fight over something inconsequential or maybe like, the most consequential, you know, we're digging up the most tender and um, guarded things of my life are now being fought with this new boyfriend. And then you lose your friend and then you question everything that you've been doing the last 20 years. It's just a lot, right? Um, and there's part of me that I've gotten used to that. My life is, I'm a very passionate person. I kind of live life to the fullest. I can never qualify myself as a low-key person and I've come to embrace that and I really love that because I feel like I am squeezing every last drop out of life out of life and I really I embrace that I love that I love that honestly if I died today or tomorrow I could look at my life and say you know what I've I lived to my fullest I don't think there's much that I left to be questioned or you know undiscovered there's still a lot more I want to do, but I think I've done a lot. So I think I could be good with that. That's a really good feeling. But the level of anxiety and um, anger that I was feeling at the end of last year was not okay. 
So the things that had been compiling throughout last year and honestly all the years preceding that came to a head. And so when I reached the top of this year, there were a lot of things that were I, I felt there were a lot of things that were at stake at that point. I was very, very burnt out from life. And I didn't know how I was supposed to manage. I had this whole new year ahead of me. And I was like, I know I can do it because fundamentally as a person, I have the capability and I'm a very resilient person. I know I can do it. I just don't feel like I can do it. Do you know what I mean? There's a separation of your logical mind and what you feel, what I feel in my heart. I have the energy for it. I was, it was non-existent. It was like negative 20. Okay. Um, my gas tank has been completely emptied and I was very discouraged. But then sometimes when I reach those really rock bottom points where everything feels like it's on the line, my relationship, um, my financial stability again like the things the films I want to make or like I had Sundance on the horizon I'd been going at 120 miles an hour and I was still dealing with the loss of my friend I was just I was like I don't know how this is gonna go and so when you get to that point at least for me I'm like okay this is where we put our big girl pants on and this is where we're gonna go for broke that's basically my mentality and maybe I think I've applied that same practice in other really dire situations. And I basically was making a decision. I don't want everything to be so dire anymore. I don't want to be pushed to the freaking edge of the cliff where I'm about to fall off, where I'm going to make these bigger decisions. So that's honestly the point I was at where I was like, something needs to change. I've been doing a lot of really good things. And mind you, in hindsight, the fact that the last over decade, more than 10 years since I ended a very toxic and very painful and very abusive relationship where I had genuinely, I'd really been contemplating suicide. Um, and just at the end of my rope, the fact that I came out of that and that I made it this far without professional health help, quote unquote, I think is, is, is something I, I do appreciate and celebrate about myself and I do appreciate and celebrate the people around me who kept me afloat. The fact that I thrived the way that I did after that bad of a five-year period of a very delicate part of my life in my teen years, it's a freaking miracle. So I do give credit to myself and I give credit to my family. I give credit to my amazing friends. Every boyfriend, I never dated a bad guy after like that bad of a guy after, like the the men who treated me well, like it all, I survived and I thrived in a lot of ways after that time. But I really do think I should have gotten some professional help. I just want to be clear about that. I do think it would have further benefited me to have gotten counseling or to have gone into therapy and talked to somebody on a regular basis to process a lot of things that I had very traumatic things that I'd gone through at a young age. I think it would have helped. Um, and who knows? Who knows how that would have shaped the trajectory of my life after that? But I'll never know because I didn't do it. But I think it would have helped. But it came to this point where I decided for myself, I've gone through I've gone through some 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 massive, massively painful things in my life. And 
I want to I want this whole roller coaster part of my life to be a thing of the past. Basically, I decided like I ain't nobody got time for that. I don't have time for this. I have things I want to do. And I've tried. I really exhausted all my other options because I've done the um the exercising. I got I've gotten so much more fit because exercise was a huge part of me relieving stress. It became a practice and a habit and kind of like my drug of choice to relieve anxiety and stress, to feel better in my body, to boost my confidence. And God bless fitness, you know, like it I love it. It's I'm obsessed with it. I I love it. Um, And I thank it for being a huge pillar of strength for me. But I was like, okay, I've done the fitness thing. I sleep better. I eat a lot healthier. Um, I've cut out certain people in my life that I don't think really make my life a lot better. I do self-medit—I do guided meditations. I've been doing guided meditations almost every night since 2013, the end of 2013. So we're heading into our sixth year of meditation. And I appreciate it so much because I've been just working hard to rewire my freaking brain to let go of insecurities, to stop being so scared of everything, to let go of anger, um, to let go of guilt and sadness. And if I had not done that, again, I have not measured anything, but I have a gut feeling that I would be very much worse off if I hadn't made guided meditation, sleep hypnosis part of my life the last almost six years. But this is where I was like, I don't want to. I don't want to spend money um, on a therapist, and I had to really face the truth in that. Um, but besides the financial thing, which is a very real thing, that I was already strapped for cash and you know freelancing and literally figuring out my life on a gig by gig basis. It was partially about money, but money is also really connected to our ability to self-actualize. Now I'm going to have a whole other maybe like series of podcasts to talk specifically about money and the emotional component of it and the way that we view ourselves and the way we value ourselves because that's been the most eye-opening part of this last year. But it had to do with that. It had to do with I don't have money to spend on this. But at this point in my life I also realize if I don't address these these really deeply rooted insecurities, this pain, this anger, it is literally stopping my ability to make money. I'm not going to be able to do the things I want to do. I'm never going to be able to make these films or do my voiceover jobs or show up with a light and a personality that's worth filming. You know, all of these things. Like I was like, this is a hindrance in my future if I don't nip my issues in the bud right now. It's not even nipping in the bud. It's like, let's address all this crap that's accumulated for the last few decades. Um, but I really, I saw the relationship between that. It's ironic that I'm like stressed about spending money on therapy, but I'm like, therapy is what I know in my gut is going to help me advance financially. You know, it's like, this is an investment. So that was a huge component of why I think I delayed it so much. I was always worried about how much money it would cost. I don't have, you know, great insurance. I kind of have this bare bones insurance that, you know, God forbid something happens, knock on wood, um, I would be somewhat taken care of, having some peace of mind in that and just being a good adult. But I was like, I don't have great insurance that would cost mental health, which then angers me because I was like, what kind of freaking country do we live in where it costs this much money to have health care and it doesn't even, we don't prioritize mental health. 
See, stuff like that gets me angry. So I'm like worked up about that. And then I'm worked up that I don't have enough money to spend on therapy. So that was that. And then it was also the fact that I realized in the most ironic and humbling of ways that I was embarrassed. There was something about all the work I had put into myself, into this self-help version of my life that was very sincere and very earnest for the last 10 plus years. I didn't want to admit that I needed help. Yeah, like we're coming to what we're two thirds of the way into the podcast. I'm finally admitting I didn't want to. I didn't want to get help. I really didn't want to say I couldn't do this on my own. I need somebody else to walk me through this, to help me cry this out, to help me process. And ain't that something? The biggest advocate of mental health, telling everybody, preaching to everybody else, like, go get your therapist, go get help. Yes, queen, you deserve it. Invest in yourself. This is your heart and your mind and your soul, your well-being. You know, I'm the girl wearing like a glitter t-shirt with an air horn cheering you on for getting therapy. And then I can't do it myself because I didn't want to admit I wanted to get help. I felt that it was an indicator that I was not capable enough to handle it on my own. I think the ironic thing is that I gave myself all this credit that I'm such an emotionally aware person and that I'm so in touch with my feelings that it should be something, and should is one of the words I hate the most, but it should be something that I could do, that I could manage. And that if I'm smart enough and if I'm hardworking enough, if I'm strategic enough and I do my guided meditations every night and I literally rewire my gray matter in my head while I'm asleep and super vulnerable. If I just stay consistent with working out, you know, five times a week or whatever, if I eat healthy, if I drink water, if I sleep well, if I open up about my feelings to my family and with my friends, then that should be enough. And I should not need to spend money and time and I should not have to crawl to somebody else to help fix me. That was a lot to process because that's the truth. That's ultimately when I ask myself certain questions of like, Mindy, what is your problem? Like, why is this so hard? Like I kept going back and forth about it in my head. And I was like, you know, this would help. You believe this helps. You believe that this helps other people. Why are you not doing it? I started having conversations with myself. And when I answered it, honestly, when I was truly, truly honest about it, that was the answer. I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to be weak. And I don't want to have to turn to somebody. I don't have to spend my hard-earned money that I'm already struggling to earn right now on admitting to somebody else that I can't do it on my own. I'm better than that. And then as soon as I said that to myself, and I don't think I said it out loud, but as soon as I said that to myself and acknowledged that feeling and that thought, that belief, I was like, yep, I'm getting therapy. It was kind of a turning point. As soon as I realized it, I was like, yeah, that's not true. And that's whack. I get it. I was, again, really having a conversation with myself. I was like, I get it. I get where you're coming from. But that's not true. You know that's not true, right? Right, Minji? You know that's not true. And um, 
I had to listen to myself. I'd actually listen to myself. I had to listen to my own advice. And we all know this. We all have, we all do this. We, I, well, actually, I'm speaking very hyperbolically. Maybe you don't do this. Maybe you're a better human than the rest of most of us. But a lot of people have an easy time dishing out advice to other people, be that on money, be that on relationships, be that on family, health, hygiene, whatever. We can dish out a lot, but it's not necessarily we can, we can take it too right? Um, I'm raising my hand right now. I'm definitely one of those people where in certain circumstances, I have a really hard time taking my own advice. And so um, this is where the whole self-care and self-love thing really came into play. And I had to be kind to myself. I had to do the thing that felt really unnatural to me, that felt hokey. And, you know, again, for someone so spiritual and all about law of attraction and meditation and yoga and you know, crystals and cleansing energies and vibes and all that stuff. I'm totally that person. But somehow the application of all of that to myself felt very trite and very stupid. It just felt dumb. But that's why I have to push myself to get back. I was like, if I'm going to be the biggest hypocrite, no, it's just not gonna, I'm not going to be the biggest hypocrite. I can't apply this to everybody else and then have me be exempt from that. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It's stupid. It's a waste of time. I'm really big on time. Like, I don't want to waste time by thinking that it really helps other people and that it couldn't help me. That's just stupid. That's like, oh, exercise is really good for you. It'll help you be healthier. It'll improve your cardiovascular health. It'll help you lose weight, feel confident. The endorphins will be great for you, but I don't need to do that. It's not going to help me. It's just, no. I cannot defy the laws of logic and facts um but in coming to that point it was a lot of self-talk and being really awkwardly uncomfortable by talking to myself in a loving way I'm my biggest critic I'm very critical in general but I'm my biggest critic I don't criticize anybody more than I criticize myself and um that's been something I've been trying to not trying that's something I have been working on decreasing for many years at this point. And I am proud to say I've made a lot of headway. I think a lot of the things that I've been able to do achievement-wise and making relationships and booking gigs or what have you have been directly correlated to me being kinder to myself and giving myself a freaking break. So it came to the same thing with this therapy thing. I needed to just relax. I really needed to just give myself a hug. I really needed to treat myself as if you know, it's the inner child thing to treat myself as a five-year-old Minji who's crying and whose feelings are hurt, who doesn't feel like she's good enough, who thinks no one wants to be her friend, et cetera, to hug that kid in me, that part of me, that vulnerable, gooey part of me, and just be like, it's okay that you feel this way. It's all right. It's all right that it's hard. It's not easy. Your person, your person just as much as anybody else's, and you're so understanding to other people for being human and having struggle and being vulnerable or wanting to receive help or feeling like they deserve help or they deserve love. You're in that category too, and that's fine. So I gave myself that space. I was like, we're going to get you help. We're like, we're, we're going to get us help. Like, we're going to be okay. We're going to figure this out. 
you are so strong. I gave myself credit. I was like, you are so strong. Really proud of you for all the work that you did and all of the things that you have been able to do working on this on your own and allowing your family and your friends to help you. Good job. That's really, really good. Now, what we're going to do now is we're going to take this to the next level because you have stuff you want to do because life is short because people who care about you want you to be well on top of the fact that you want to be well. So let's do this, you know, really having this conversation with myself in my head um, to just let me be. And um, it worked. It genuinely worked um, because after that, I think I came to much more open and accepting of a place to allow help to show up, to arrive in my life. (laughs) Um, It came with letting it. I think I had been having a lot of different guarded mechanisms, whether that be wall or a crossbow or whatever. I had a lot of different ways to deflect help. I'm good. Putting on a really strong front. I'm very good at that. I am also a really strong person, but I, I can also easily put up a stronger front if I'm trying to convince everybody, including myself, that I'm fine when I'm not. Um, yeah, a lot of those things came down. They're being dismantled by me just being like, no, I would really like help. I'm really tired of crying every day. I'm really tired of having panic attacks and not being able to sleep because I'm anxious about how I'm supposed to proceed in life. It's really debilitating. It's really paralyzing. You know, I don't, I'm coming to a point in my life where I don't need other people's validation to recognize how deeply hard, if it's hard for me, I cannot imagine that it's hard, it's not hard for others. You know, call it my intuition, but everybody is struggling with something. There's so much anger and pain in this world. And The solutions are not going to come from achievements and things. Those things, I think, can be byproducts of true success inside. And that, again, can sound so hippy-dippy. If someone's out there listening and you're, like, rolling your eyes, trust me, I've been there. But the reality of it is you can't—again, we are not above reality. We're not outside of truth. Um, Once those things get resolved in you, in me— Everything else can keep happening and it'll be ultimately pretty inconsequential to what it is that we're really searching for. There's been enough examples of how wealth and fame and popularity and, you know, like a hot person desiring you or approval even from your parents or graduating from the top school or getting the best job or promoted to this and getting an Oscar, whatever. There's been enough examples and enough people that have shown that those things are not the cure. They can be really great things. They're wonderful things. And I don't think they're things to disqualify or minimize, but they're not the cure. So if we're at this point and we know, we all know that these things are good for us, you know, eating our vegetables is good for us, then we eat our freaking vegetables. That's where I was, and that's how I started therapy. So this is like the whole prequel of like how I met Panny. I think when I got to that emotional place of complete and utter exhaustion, a lot of sadness and anger and anxiety, and then had the talk with myself, 
not the talk, but a talk, a very important talk with myself. I really think it opened a gateway energetically um, that God was listening, that the universe was there and like the stars aligned. I needed to chat with Penny and there she was. And that was one of the really beautiful things that she mentioned in that podcast episode. So if you are interested in learning more about the actual therapist that I'm seeing, go listen to the one with Penny Way. She's amazing. Um, she came into my life and she said, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. I love that. I can't stop thinking about that since she said it. When the student is ready, the teacher appears. And I really think that I needed to go through a series of feelings and thoughts and emotions to reach a point where I was going to be able to hear what she had to say. Does that make sense? Um, That's how it went for me. And I think it's a very different, very unique journey for everybody else, how you come to a different point of decision and of clarity and of um, just kind of like openness and embracing to make those decisions to help yourself. Every person has had a different series of experiences. They have a different personality. They have a different culture, different set of parents and, you know, traumas and motivations. People are motivated by different things and they all reach their different points at a different time in life. Some people will reach that very late in life. Some people may reach it way earlier. I've I've met some of the most woke children of my life lately. I recently got to speak at Harvard a couple of weeks ago and just some of these these kids are blowing my mind with how aware they are and how centered they seem. I'm just like, "Dang. Did you have did you have really great parents? Did you have a great therapist? I don't know." But We all reach it at different points in life, and there's no right or wrong time. But if you are like me and you do value your time and want to get the most out of life and just kind of are tired of being tired and tired of being upset and sad or anxious and really want to do something, I really do advocate for getting help. Anybody, you know? Uh, No, take it back. Not anybody. People who are qualified and able to help you. People who have training people who have perspective and context and awareness to help you that is going to require some help on not help some work on your side the other thing that i'll say about starting therapy um on a practical side because this has been a very kind of emotional journey i feel like i was very lucky to have the right person appear in my life i instinctually really felt okay i can move forward with her because It wasn't even about therapy when we started talking. We were talking just about life, about work. Um, And then I realized, oh, yeah, part of Penny's work is to do therapy. And I had this gut feeling of, like, I think she could really help me. I'm going to pursue this. That's how that came into my universe. I also happen to have done this BuzzFeed video with my friend Christopher Lamb called Why Finding a Therapist or Why Starting Therapy is So Freaking Hard. Therapy is not, again, Aside from the emotional, you know, psychological journey that you're going to go on to be able to decide that you want to do it and accept help, logistically finding a good therapist, I've heard so many stories. Again, my other episode has spurned a lot of conversation. I'm very grateful for that. And people have shared that it's been really, really hard. So people who have decided and said, I'm going to do this, I want to get help, I want to talk to somebody um, and process all of these old wounds and whatnot— have had a really hard time 
finding a therapist. They've tried. So it's whether somebody is covered by your insurance, whether they're in your price range, whether they are geographically close to you, um, and other elements that I found really, really important because of experiences of other people in my life is finding somebody who can really speak to you. Now, you could be a person, I'll use myself as an example. I'm a millennial. I am a California woman, grew up in the States to immigrant parents. I'm Korean American, so I had Korean parents. Um, if I could find a therapist who could co- connect with any one of those elements, I think would be really, really helpful because I think as a baseline, we would have that understanding of the struggle to be a child of immigrants, the struggle of being a woman, um, the struggle of being really type A, I don't know, um, of an artist, someone who works specifically with artists and a lot of their clientele are creative people. Their minds might work in a different way and they can kind of speak to that. Who knows? Maybe those are elements that could really speak to me and maybe I don't need a Korean-American woman who's an actor and, you know, whatever. Maybe I could find that person. Potentially, my therapist could be a white male. That could happen. I'm not saying that's not possible. But I kind of... Penny is Asian-American. She's older than me, but not a ton. Um, She is the daughter of a very passionate set of parents. Um, She's had, you know, difficulties with siblings of just, like, having a lot of responsibility on her shoulder, X, Y, Z. She used to be a producer of films. We have a lot of things in common. Her birthday is also the day before mine, so we're both cancers. Some people don't believe in that. But like all those synchronicities, I was like, maybe that's why I felt so open to talk to her. And I've had different people share, like, yeah, they're they're gay. And it's hard to, you know, people, empathy can go a long way, but maybe finding a therapist who is also gay or has family members who are gay can speak to that experience with some truth, a little bit of perspective or um, more understanding, like at a baseline. So you don't have to work as hard to see where you are coming from eye to eye. Does that make sense? Again, I'm not saying that somebody who is different than you cannot see or be there for you or help you or, you know, that is not what I'm saying. But maybe those are things to consider as you find somebody that could be helpful to you. Um, I know somebody who's older, Asian-American, is a father, is an immigrant, and I think it would have benefited them to talk to somebody who had any one of those things under their belt, and the person that he ended up speaking with was none of those things. Minus the fact that they're Asian, but she was Asian-American and barely, I think, around my age, and he's a lot older, a father, an actual immigrant from another country. And like there was, he ultimately felt like she couldn't do anything to help him. I've heard that in a lot of different variations. It's hard. It's hard to, what I'm saying is it just takes work. You're, you might not find it on the first person. You might not find it on the second or third. But when you do find somebody who can help you, the other thing that I'll close this podcast with is that it it does help tremendously. What I can say, you know, two months after having started therapy I feel lighter as a person. Um, I just, if I, I feel like I should have been taking data points. The amount, I can say the volume of anxiety that I have been experiencing since the beginning of this year versus last year has been significantly less. I still feel anxious about finances, about just kind of the future. It's exciting, but I'm also anxious. That's just who I am, maybe. But the panic attacks, the feeling of being paralyzed, the feeling of, 
I'm not able to fall asleep because I have way too much on my mind, a lot of that has subsided significantly. And then it's daily maintenance, and I still got to work out. I still got to eat well. I got to drink water, sleep well, talk things out with my boyfriend, talk things out with my parents, you know, set better boundaries on my time. Those are all things that I still have to do. But in terms of the therapy, um, I think it has helped me let go of a lot. And I really desperately wanted to let go of a lot. And I think I've made strides in that. And that's in two months. You know, it's an ongoing process. But this is my personal testimonial to the fact that I believe therapy works. I think it takes hard work emotionally to get to a place where you can receive help. And then once you start receiving help, to be honest, is an incredibly difficult thing that we may always struggle with for the rest of our lives. But the sooner that we can be honest, the sooner that we can address real problems that are holding us back from whatever it is that we're trying to get to. And I think that that is purpose and fulfillment and making an impact and being valuable, not necessarily achievement or, you know, tons and tons of money. Those could be, again, byproducts of the other things that I said. But having value, having substance, having um, connection, like true connection with people that matter are priceless. You can't put a price tag on that. You cannot put an award title on that. Those are just, I think, very fundamental parts of who we are and what we need to prosper and honestly not hurt other people to stop lashing out um, and self-sabotaging. You know, those are things that are holding us back from what we really want to have. And I think that's joy and happiness. And I think there's also a difference between joy and happiness. Again, another conversation, but those are my thoughts. This was a lot longer than I thought it would be, but I had a lot to say. It's um, certainly not an easy path that any of us are on. I don't think anybody has it easy. I think some people who appear to have it easy, I think, actually do have a lot of things that they are dealing with. Look at Fire Festival. I don't know why. That's like one of the first things, like this whole slew of Fire Festival is just a mess. I don't even know how Fire Festival came up into. He's just that guy is a very broken, like very sad person. I hope he stops committing fraud on people. We also need to stop chasing things that we think are going to make us happy that are not going to make us happy. Um, anyway, that's a total random tangent, but I love all of you. I genuinely want you to be as fulfilled and as self-actualizing as possible. I want us to feel connected, um, to feel centered, safe, peaceful, joyful, because I think if we as individuals do that work and starts with us, then it is a ripple effect to everybody else. And it can alleviate a lot of the chaos that's, that is out there. Um, and for waiting for somebody else to do that work, it ain't going to happen. We got to do it. So you can do it. I'm sharing my stories to remind you, you can do it. I'm doing it and I'll keep doing it. And I may get hard and I'll probably stumble. I'll probably fall and then I'll cry (laughs) and then I'll get back up and I'll keep going. So um, thank you for listening to this episode of First of All. And thank you. Thank you to my Patreon patrons. We had our February hangout and you guys genuinely gave me so much to think and process and feel inspired by to record this episode. I was having a podcast block, not a writer's block, but a podcast block of not being able to say what I wanted to say. And um, 
I think I think that got fixed. So I hope you, um, everyone who listened, if you have somebody that you feel could benefit from this podcast, if it struck up something in you that you want to share, I hope that you will. Um, this is a very pay it forward kind of thing. And be brave, be courageous, and take the leap um, to share your feelings and be honest and be vulnerable because it can really help you and it can help others too. So again, shout out to my Patreon patrons. You guys help keep the microphone on. If you'd like to contribute and become a patron of the First of All podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash first of all podcast. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram at Minjeezy, M-I-N-J-E-E-Z-Y. And uh, thank you to Marvin Yue, my audio engineer and producer. Thank you to Aquafina. Um, you were great at the Oscars, girl. Thank you for use of her song, Yellow Ranger. You can find this podcast on Google Play, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, and anywhere else you can find podcasts, including Spotify. And I'm also a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. I love you guys. Thank you for being a voice and uh, sharing stories that need to be shared. And yeah, hit me up. Um, tweet me. I'm also Minjeezy on Twitter. You can also email me, first of all, pod at gmail.com. And please subscribe and leave a five-star review because it does help. And I'm getting better at asking for help. You know what I mean? Full circle. Um, but thank you guys so much. I hope you have a great week and I'll talk to you soon. Love you. Bye.